0: I'm weird. You're weird. You're weird. That's so weird. Weird sister. Weird sister. Weird sister. sister. I'm (sighs) weird. Hey there, this is Cece Hart, and I want to thank you for joining me for this unusual episode of Weird Sister. Today is January 6th, 2021. It's the Feast of the Epiphany. In many Christian traditions, January 6th is the last day of Christmastide. It marks the visit of the Magi to the Holy Family. The three kings arrive bearing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they acknowledge Christ as king. Whether or not one believes this narrative, metaphorically, Epiphany speaks to me. I like the symbology of a holiday that honors a sudden intuitive insight into reality or the essential meaning of something. Okay, wait a minute. We've got to back this up. I love the Feast of the Epiphany and I was happily writing away on January 6th, 2021 in preparation for this episode of the Weird Sister podcast. I often take small breaks from my writing to look at the news or social media or what have you. You know, just to let my mind wander a bit. This is one of the ways I have learned to adapt to my attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Small breaks help me stay focused on larger tasks, but what I thought was going to be a short jaunt through the interwebs turned into a horrible fixation on the devastating news that day. I was witnessing live streams from the United States Capitol building, and I was horrified to see a government institution under assault. I couldn't look away from my computer. The breaching of barricades, the broken glass, Ashley Babbitt, shirtless on a gurney, getting wheeled out of the Capitol, her neck and mouth covered in blood. Honestly, it's taken me a long time to reset from that day. One of my biggest epiphanies surrounding the topic of neurodiversity is the ways in which neurodiverse traits cluster. People with autism are more likely to have synesthesia Synesthetes are more likely to have obsessive-compulsive disorder. Folks with OCD are more likely to have migraine. Neurodiverse traits group together. And while plenty of people only have one neurodivergent condition, some of us have the whole deluxe poo-poo platter of neurocognitive differences. One of my neurodiverse conditions is post-traumatic stress disorder. I've had it since my early 20s. And by the way, Peer-reviewed scientific research shows that people like me who have synesthesia are more likely to get PTSD, but we'll save that talk for another episode of Weird Sister. My PTSD waxes and wanes. When I'm overwhelmed, it flares up, and I experience panic attacks paired with a terrible inertia. Other times, my PTSD is quiescent and not much of a problem. However, I recognize I can easily get triggered when I'm under duress. It's been an epiphany for me in our media-saturated culture to recognize how disturbed and distracted I get by images of trauma. It doesn't matter if depictions of trauma are fictional entertainment or news broadcasts. I recognize I just can't put myself in that position where I'm witness to violence. I should have known better than to watch a live news feed of the Capitol insurrection, but I did, and it's taken me weeks to get back in my groove. So let's return to the topic of epiphanies. Many individuals in the neurodiversity community have their own stories of epiphany. It can be challenging to get diagnosed with neurodiverse conditions and even more difficult to get treatment, accommodation, and or support for one's neurocognitive differences. This is especially true for girls and women, the LGBTQIA community, and those assigned female at birth. But why is this the case? I delved into Maya Dusenberry's 2018 book, Doing Harm, Looking for Answers. According to Ms. Dusenberry's research, many women with conditions typically thought of as men's diseases, like ADHD and autism spectrum disorders, report that their doctors were resistant to the possibility the patient might have a neurocognitive difference, even when the women themselves suggested the correct diagnosis. And misdiagnosis and underdiagnosis are an even greater challenge for black individuals and other people of color. For example, in regard to ADHD, there's a tremendous gender and race bias in regard to who gets a positive diagnosis and treatment. According to the official journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics, factors increasing a child's risk for an ADHD diagnosis include being a boy being raised by an older mother, being raised in an English-speaking household, and engaging in externalizing problem behaviors, for example, disrupting the classroom or picking fights. Factors decreasing children's risk of an ADHD diagnosis included engaging in learning-related behaviors, such as being attentive in the classroom or displaying academic achievement, Another risk decreasing a child's chance of getting the correct ADHD diagnosis, and this one kills me, is not having health insurance. Among children diagnosed with ADHD, racial and ethnic minorities were less likely than whites to be taking prescription medication for the disorder. In her thoughtful and heartfelt essay in Ebony Magazine titled, She Got ADHD, A Black Millennial's Journey to Self-Acceptance, Ertha Terrell reveals her challenges getting a correct diagnosis. Miss Terrell remarks that she was not a classroom disruptor. She was more likely to casually forget her homework assignments. This tendency for girls and women to internalize ADHD symptoms was noted by Jay Gerson in a 2002 paper in the Journal of Attention Disorders, which concluded after a thorough literature review that girls with ADHD had lower levels of inattention, impulsivity, hyperactivity, and disruptive problems, but more intellectual impairments and internalizing problems such as poor self-image. It can be equal parts frustrating and heartbreaking to experience the epiphanies that come with late diagnosis of neurodivergent traits. Because girls and women and LGBTQIA folks are less likely to get a childhood diagnosis of ADHD or autism or other neurodivergent conditions, we are more likely to flounder, struggling to understand why we can't seem to get it right. Our self-esteem suffers, we become more likely to self-harm or develop substance abuse, and we are at a greater risk for economic challenges, geographic instability, and unstable relationships. I often find myself wondering what my life would have been like if I'd been diagnosed with ADHD in childhood. I remember my school report cards annotated with comments such as, Carolyn is the best reader in the class, but she won't stay in her seat. I remember constantly losing library books and the anxiety that came with getting chastised by the librarians for my chronically overdue works. In fifth grade, I spent way too much time staring out the window and by middle school, I couldn't motivate myself to complete my assignments. I finished the first aid class I needed to graduate high school the night before the ceremony, a hallmark example of my extraordinary capacity to remain distracted from accomplishing goals And it took me 20 years of sporadic college attendance to complete my BA degree. How would my life have been different if I had the correct medication and therapies for ADHD when I was seven or 10 or 15 or 25 or 40? What might I have accomplished? How might I have brought my gifts into the world instead of sinking into epic procrastination? Along with these thoughts, I wonder about the other people like me, the ones who didn't get the help they needed or who are still struggling to understand their aberrant brains. It makes me sad to know so many people are suffering with the weight of undiagnosed or underdiagnosed neurocognitive differences. One of my happiest epiphanies was the realization that I could launch a podcast about neurodiversity, that Weird Sister could become a place for exploration and discovery on the topic of neurodivergence. As I continue to develop episodes, my epiphany has morphed into a hope that Weird Sister will help foster compassion, including self-acceptance and community support for neurodivergent people. I find the more I learn about my neurodiverse traits, the more comfortable I become with my strange brain. That's another epiphany right there. I hope Weird Sister sparks epiphanies for you, too. This is CC Hart, and I'm so glad you gave Weird Sister a listen. For resources on ADHD, check out my blog at ccheart.me. That's C-C-H-A-R-T dot in episode 7, let's delve into the life of Harriet Tubman. She suffered a traumatic brain injury, and some scholars believe that Harriet's TBI might have motivated her extraordinary courage. The Weird Sister podcast is blessed to have the wisdom and mad skills of our audio producer Stacy Denick. May the weird be with you.